1: Hello everybody, welcome along. It's another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. I'm James taking you through. As always, first of all, thank you very much indeed to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Give them a follow as well, please, on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Some brilliant sporting content on there. And their support of the Cricket Badger Podcast is very much appreciated. Today, though, on the Cricket Badger Podcast, we're looking at the art of fielding. How you coach fielding, how you get the most out of yourself in the field as a side and as an individual. Joining me on today's Cricket Badger podcast is Cookie Patel. He's worked with the England women's team. He's worked with a number of different counties as well, and club sides around the country, to encourage them to get the most out of their field and performance. When I first started watching cricket, it was very much bat against ball, and the fielding was a, a peripheral aspect of cricket. Nowadays, it's part of being an all-rounder. You need to be good in the field, and often... When it comes to a choice between batsmen or a choice between two bowlers, the fielding is a major part of the selection criteria. We talked to Cookie about enthusiasm, passion, enjoying your fielding, something I never used to really do, to be honest. Before we get into the chat, though, with Cookie, I just want to say thank you for your votes on the hashtag goat commentator poll that we've been running on the at cricket underscore badger Twitter feed. You have voted in your thousands to see Richie Benno, awarded the hashtag GOAT commentator, the voice of cricket, Jeffrey Boycott in second, David Bumble-Lloyd in third, and Michael Holding in fourth. Thank you very much indeed for keeping me entertained, at least during lockdown and beyond. And We're going to be turning our attention now on the GOAT votes to... Cricket grounds around the world. You've all got your favourites, you've all got your days that you remember in the sunshine sitting at a certain ground and thinking, wow, this is the place to be. Well, over the next few weeks on the at cricket underscore badger Twitter feed, we're going to vote for the GOAT. Cricket Ground. What is the greatest cricket ground to watch cricket, enjoy cricket in the world? So take a look at the at cricket underscore badger Twitter feed. Give it a follow as well and make sure you cast your votes on that one so you get your favourite cricket ground right through to the final stages. But let's get on with today's podcast. Cookie Patel, field and coach extraordinaire. What it takes to be a good fielder on this edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. It's that badger style. If you're anything like me, as a club cricketer, when it was batting practice, I thought, yay, that's all right. If it was bowling practice, I thought, yeah, that's good. If they said fielding practice, I thought, hmm, not so bothered about that. But I have know a man who can actually take us through the art of fielding and maybe add a little bit to our various games, whatever level we're at, whether it's professional or club cricketer. And that man is Cookie Patel. How are you?
0: I'm very well, thanks, James. How are you?
1: I'm not too bad at all, and uh, you've, Good, made, you've basically made your name as a as a fielding coach, haven't you? in In the current game, how, how did I mean? First of all, let's let's take it right back to the start. How did you get into coaching in the first place, and and what was it about cricket that uh, led you down that path?
0: Well, it's an interesting one because I started coaching when I was seventeen, and one of the reasons I started coaching was just to give kids an opportunity to play the game that we all love and that we're all passionate about. And, and if you think about the, the chain of events for anybody playing the game at whatever level, it starts at a club. And so I just thought, it just made sort of common sense to me. It just made sense to say, well, let's give kids an opportunity. Let's get into some local schools in the surrounding areas, draw kids into the into the cricket club, get them enjoying the game, give them a few skills, get them playing some games. And it just has a, a massive knock-on effect from what they do in terms of their personal development, social development, physical development. And ultimately, we want them playing cricket. And in terms of their cricket development, it then draws in your family as well. Now, whether you drink or whether you socialise, whether you want to be part of the community, whether you want to be part of a club, it has massive advantages for for everybody involved. So that was my, my sort of driver for wanting to get involved in coaching. And I started at I, well, I, didn't start. I started coaching at West Orange Dartmouth Cricket Club when I was when I was 17. But my first club as an 11 year old uh, was Old Hill Cricket Club, um, and that was thanks to my school teacher, uh, Mr Brooks or Alan Brooks as uh, I call him now. And he got me involved there, and then I moved to. West Bromwich Dartmouth because it was just closer for me because I lived nearby so I got involved in coaching uh, coach 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 ended up doing a little bit for Birmingham City Council and Warwickshire County Cricket Club working on their sort of community what you'd you'd call their community programs now and that was in a city Birmingham, Small Heath, Spark Brook, Spark Hill, uh, Mosley those types of areas so kids that were were quite passionate and predominantly a South Asian background, predominantly mad on cricket. So that that was almost a win-win situation, really. Um, So that's how I got involved in it and then have just worked my way through the ranks, really, to a degree. uh, With no real plan when I set out coaching to work at the levels that I have done, but just wanted to enjoy it and make sure that other people enjoyed the benefit of cricket that I've had. The pleasure of enjoyment out of over the well, well, all my life really. So- when you
1: started out, then was there another? Another career that was paying the bills or was it always the coaching route?
0: Well, it isn't interesting. So I started when I was 17 and then I started an apprenticeship, would you believe, as an electrician. So I was working and going to college at the same time. So I did that for a couple of years, finished my apprenticeship, qualified as an electrician. And then I had the uh, opportunity to go to university to do a building management degree, which I didn't really want to do, if I'm honest, but (laughs) it was easy. I managed to live at home. And the reason I went to Wolverhampton, or Wolverhampton, uh, as they'd say around here, Wolverhampton University, was because I could stay at home, but more importantly, I could carry on coaching, carry on playing club cricket, uh, and it kept me involved in that. Now, I ended up also coaching at a private school in Coventry, uh, Babel Lake School was still at full time university. So, this is probably not a good message for people going to university and trying to keep down a, a, a part time job as well. Ultimately, I dropped out of university. I completed three years of a four year course and then I ended up coaching more or less full time for myself, uh, sort of 1994, 96. And it was great and I loved it. I worked in a couple of uh, primary schools, secondary school, private school. And then I was at that point as well, I'd started doing a little bit in the county age group pathway for for Warwickshire, working with the under 10s, under 11s, uh, and then filling in for some of the other coaches here and there. And at that point, I think I'd completed, well, I'd done my level one when I was 17, very quickly moved on to my, well, it used to be called coaching award, senior award, and then the advanced. And the advanced was a week-long residential at Lillyshaw, which was great, which is the equivalent of the, what do they call it now? They call it the level three, the advanced course. They called it the advanced course again. So I went through the ranks very, very quickly. and then. In 96, I got the job at Warwickshire County Cricket Club as a cricket development officer, where I worked for four years and managed to work with some of, well, up to the, uh, Warwickshire in the 19s, which was it just, give you know, threw a different light onto coaching because all of a sudden it wasn't so much about mass participation and getting loads of kids involved. It was about potentially preparing cricketers for first-class cricket. Uh, or second 11 cricket and then first class cricket so you know and two-day cricket which was very new to me and i never played professional cricket so it was a it's always been a learning learning curve and it still is a learning curve uh, to to continually stay ahead of the, the curve if you like so that was interesting
1: what we're saying so far is that you can you can basically fit a plug and and do a little bit of electric so you can build about three quarters of a house but you know how to coach cricket that's basically what you said so far
0: well, I think, you, yeah, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, do you? But I think I knew where my passion lay and I knew what I wanted to do and this is this is and I, I don't share this very often i suppose those people will hear this now but i can remember being at primary school and you know sometimes when a school teacher says well right what what does everybody want to do when they grow up and people say i want to be a policeman i want to be a nurse i want to be a doctor and i can remember and it was mrs humphries so i remember my school teacher and she said to me what do you want to be and i said i said i want to be a trainer and she said what like a train driver and i said no no like uh training people to in sports so i can remember from a very early age that and I don't know where that come from. I really don't know where that come from. But I can vividly remember saying that to her and saying I wanted to be a trainer. So I assume I meant coach and that's what I ended up doing. Yeah. I see,
1: it's interesting that, isn't it? Because, I mean, if, if somebody had asked me the same question, I'd have said I'd, I'd want to be a professional cricketer. Didn't quite, yeah. do, didn't quite do it, but I've kind of lived my life around the ages of cricket really. Uh, the friend of mine at school basically would have said he wanted to be a, a stock car racer and we had a conversation actually quite recently that we talked about it and said, there's not many people that when they, they sit in a classroom and they say what they what they want to do when they grow up kind of question, they actually get to do it. So there's there's, well. three, there's three of us now that can tick it off. You, you've you actually <laughs> achieved what you wanted to do.
0: Well, yeah, and it's I, it's been fantastic and the journey I, hopefully, you know, continues and uh, I've been very fortunate. I've met some great people, some fantastic players across the pathway. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work with North Ants Derby and with England women and within the women's pathway for, for a substantial amount of years. Uh, and it's been great. It's been, it's been really great. And it's something that I would recommend to anybody that has a passion, not only for the game, but developing people and improving people's skills in the game that we love. And I think you throw those three things into the mix then it's definitely worth doing for whichever level you want to work at. Now, I can say that more freely, I think, because I have worked at, like I say, across the entire pathway. And the satisfaction levels are no different whether you're working with little Johnny, little Sarah, sort of, you know, under 10s, or whether you're working with a professional or an international cricketer. The the whole element around keeping it fun and making it moving people forward is the key to coaching for me. And people and there's, we could have a massive philosophical debate around what is coaching my take on it would be about it's moving somebody along their journey or helping them move along their journey from A to B to C to D and keep moving if that's what they wish to do now that journey will look different for a 10 year old as it would do for a professional cricketer, nevertheless it's about how can we act as facilitators, as coaches to help them move along that journey so for a 10 year old it might be a just getting your hands together and being able to catch a ball or to be able to strike a ball and for a professional cricketer it might be about making decisions because they can already strike a ball the principle is exactly the same the topic that you're talking about the context might be a little bit different so it's it's interesting however that puts you in a position where you have to think what is it that these players are going to need. And if we can understand those needs of those players, then it allows us to operate more effectively as coaches.
1: How important is enthusiasm to all of this and and passion? You mentioned the word passion there. I mean, I was was lucky enough to work Um, quite closely with Yorkshire at one stage and I I saw Paul Farbrace doing fielding drills and I don't think I've ever met a coach who is more... In love with cricket than Paul Farbrace, and he communicated that beautifully to the players. They absolutely loved doing coaching drills with him because he was just so enthusiastic about it, and he wanted them to do well. It becomes quite a big thing of it, doesn't it? If you if you get to a certain yeah. level with your coaching, if you're enthusiastic and passionate, it transmits it better.
0: Well, I, I, absolutely, I, and I think there's a number of benefits to that. One is if you're enthusiastic about, enthusiastic about it, then. there's more chance of you enjoying what goes on and what happens in that particular session or however many sessions you run. I think that then rubs off on players because they can see that. They turn up and they think, this lad's bouncing off the walls here. This is just going to be a fun session. And I think that that word fun shouldn't never, ever be estimated at whatever level you're operating at. I think if you keep it fun, if you manage the competitive levels as well, depending on the group and the environment that you're working in. I think those two things are just fantastic. And then you throw in a little bit of, right, we're going to help you with your, with your development of your skill development or how you're going to play the game technically or tactically or whatever it may be. It just It's just the right formula. So I think that passion for me and that enthusiasm has got to be the driver. And then it's about how knowledgeable you can become about your area that you talk about. So for me, in and around fielding, that enthusiasm and passion has always been 110%. My knowledge when I first started out in fielding would not have been 100%. The desire to have that knowledge would have been 100% and it still is. And that's, so I'll give you an extreme example of that is I did my master's degree in coaching science, but I did it specifically around diving and understanding what it takes to make a fielder or the components, if you like, of what makes a safe and effective dive. If I've got that knowledge and it's been researched and it's, watertight I have the confidence and the skills then to be able to take that to a player to say look in order to first and foremost make sure you do it safely these are the things that you need to consider and then B it's about well actually a ball that you may not have died for is now a ball that you're saving and that then becomes a game changer for players and that ultimately what fielding is all about at that top end is about it actually wins your games of cricket and dare I say it it will also lose your games of cricket.
1: Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. When you did your levels and your qualifications and you went through and, as you say, you got to the top end of that, at what stage did you actually think? Because when you started out doing the coaching, you'd have done batting, bowling, you'd have done every discipline. When was it that you transferred your efforts more to the fielding side and what made you do that?
0: Well, it's interesting. Um, I I was quite fortunate when I worked for ECB, um, when I finished um, working as Cricket Development Officer in Shropshire, uh, I had the opportunity to go and do some work, uh, some project work for ECB. It's a bit of a reward, I suppose, or part of the bartering process there was they said, well, is there anything that you'd like to, to do? And I said, well, I'm really interested in fielding because that fielding came from me being a I don't want to say I was a good fielder, I'd never say that, but I was a reasonably good fielder and I'd throw myself about. And that kept me in the side when I played Birmingham League cricket. I was probably a better fielder than I was a batter or a bowler. Um, so that's where that originated from. So they said, Well, what, what do you want to do with that? And I said, Well, I'd just be interested to know what the movement patterns are of a fielder and what makes them a good fielder. Um, so I got the opportunity to work with Stuart Barnes at Gloucestershire uh, Academy um, and the second 11 there and started doing that. And then Mark. Elaine, who was the head coach at the time, drafted me into the first eleven. So I went from knowing nothing about fielding, in essence, to being in a first-class environment where all of a sudden it was right. What what can you do that's going to add value here? So at that point, then it was a that's where I had to get ahead of the curve. And that's I suppose if there was ever a time to panic, that would have been it in terms of in an environment here with some very very good professional cricketers. And the other beauty that was. Gloucestershire for me was that Chris Taylor was there who was probably regarded as one of the best fielders on the county circuit. And he was great. He's been fantastic. And ever since that time, we've gotten really well and obviously he had the role as England uh, lead fielding coach. And he's been instrumental in, in part of my development as well. So that's where all that fielding came from. So I had the opportunity then to look at that research. And then Mark Elaine offered me um, a part-time deal, which worked perfectly with my ECB role in 2007. And we were just about to start the season. And I think, unfortunately, Mark uh, parted company with Gloucestershire. So I was chomping at the bit, thinking, I've got so I can do something here, I can do something. So I, I rang around a few counties and had a bit of a knockback and all the rest of it. And then I went and met. David Capel, at Northampton, and he was really interested. Um, and I met with him in his conservatory, and I then had five years with Northampton on the on the back of that, um, which was great. Um, learned an awful lot, not only about more about cricket and the way that you play the game, but also what it takes to interact with players, how you deal with players, and the dynamics of a dressing room. And it was great because my first year at Northampton, it was like walking into <laughs> an international dressing room, when you had the likes of Monty Panassar, Johan Lowe, Lance Klusner uh, Andrew Hall, Nicky Boyer, Johan Vandavar. Um, and then you had the greats of David Sales, Stephen Peters, Niall O'Brien, the keeper. Jason Brown was still there at the time when I started. So all of a sudden it was like going into a dressing room full of superstars. And for me, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to make, I need to make sure here I've got all my ducks lined up because if I don't, these These people are very experienced and knowledgeable will know will find you out very quickly if if you're going to add value to their game or not that's um, not that's not
1: a phrase you hear very often on the on the podcast. you want to get all your ducks lined up in a row <laughs> <laughs>
0: um so yeah I, I it was a massive learning curve for me um one that i thoroughly enjoyed enjoyed and the challenge of that as well. And, and thanks to Capes, really, for giving me the opportunity, as did Mark Alain and Stuart at, uh, at Gloucestershire.
1: And I mean, on my slightly tongue-in-cheek introduction, I, I think there are a lot of people out there who like batting, like bowling, but find fielding a chore, whether they're good at it or not. I had Jack Russell on the podcast recently, and he said the reason he became a wicketkeeper was because he, he didn't want to field at third man and fine leg all day long. <laughs> You hear stories of people dozing off in the field and finding it a bit tedious, particularly in a, in red ball cricket. Do you find that at all levels that, um, you know, whether it's kids or whether it's uh, professionals, that, that there can be a resistance to actually wanting to field?
0: Yeah, well, I, I think there's, I'll say two things here. One, the first thing is fielding is very exciting and it's very exciting with what's happening with fielding now and there's a lot more awareness around what we need to do with fielding. That would be the first thing. The second thing I would say is I don't think, and I'll be happily shot down here if need to be, I don't think as a nation we do what we should be doing with fielding that we need to. I think it's starting to happen, and there are some really, really good uh, examples of where that's starting to work well, but I still think there are counties, and I think it's, it's more down to a lack of understanding and knowledge and comfort and confidence, to be able to work with fielding and fielders. But we, I don't think we're there yet. I think we're still a little bit behind the, the, the curve, speaking nationally. Like I say, I think we are moving forward with that, and I think that's great, but I think there still needs to be a larger emphasis on what we do with fielding. Now, I contradict myself here a little bit. You see these fantastic catches and runouts and all the rest of it on, on TV, which suggests things are starting to begin to happen. And you see that at the international level. And that's because those guys practice day in, day out. And they they are starting to do that, those sort of sexy things, if you like, in terms of you know diving on the boundary and flicking it back and your partner catches it and that sort of thing. I think those things are changing. I think I, being a complete purist around fielding, I would like to see more of that happening in counties, in clubs, potentially in schools as well. And I think when I go around and I deliver my fielding workshop to coaches, it's interesting, you know, and that's, that's, both sort of experienced coaches that have been in the game a long time, it's interesting to see the lack of confidence and knowledge around fielding, what people think how, in terms of how they should go about their coaching with fielding. So I think there is a little bit of a gap there that, that needs to be filled very very quickly. Now, I think it will be filled more by default rather than us driving it forward the way that we need
1: to. Take you back into that Northampton dressing room, your first day in there, and you, you've already kind of listed the role of honour of people that are sitting around there. Just on my knowledge of those cricketers, there's a, a quite a big difference in how they fielded. Monty's not known for his fielding. David Sales isn't necessarily built for speed. Some of the others were more kind of Terrier-like. I, I guess you have to look at a squad. You have to think about who they are, where they might field, and tailor your sessions to each one, do you?
0: Well, yeah, I I, I I'm, I'm just going to pick you up there on David Sales. Now, here's an interesting one, and I'll answer your question in a minute. But this is interesting. Five years at North Hans, I, I I reckon I did 99 percent of all white ball games, and I record every bit of fielding that happens in that, that white ball cricket. So then it would have been t20, 40 over, and 50 over. So those are the three formats when, when we first started. And statistically, I could tell you categorically which fielder uh, was top and which fielder. Near at the bottom, and if I had to put my mortgage on any fielder uh, in that dressing room, it would be David Sales, which you might find interesting. I mean, because that was, you say pe- people talk, you say, people
1: talk about David Sales, and they they, uh, I mean, he, he was a terrific player. Um, yeah, batting wise, he was as good as yeah, yeah, most people on the county circuit. And the the thing that, that kind of the, the second line you always hear when people talk about David Sales is, oh, he, he never played for England because, and it was along the lines of what I said. And you're you're maybe going against that, there, aren't you?
0: Well, yeah, and I suppose there's there's probably a little bit of perception there when you look at somebody and you think, hmm, but then you look at Ian Botham in his latter days and he took some of the best catches you would probably ever see, and he probably wasn't. He's not somebody that you'd necessarily call that looked like an athlete, but that doesn't mean to say that you can't move. Now, I think if you have the right technique and the right attitude and the right focus, I think, I'm not going to say regardless of your physique, it still allows you to perform to a level. Now, Having the right physique will naturally enhance your ability to, to be more effective. I have no doubt about that, and I think I do think that if somebody like David Sayles, and we they were more athletic, they'd probably be I have no doubt even better than what they were, or than what he was. It's interesting, but when you look at going back to your question about where fielders field, then Jumble would field either in the inner circle and then a predominantly field on the boundary because of his ability to throw the ball really well. So we did start to find we and we did find that that at some point you do start putting fielders in specific places so Alex Wakeley, for example would predominantly field at on the boundary at deep mid-on and would do mid-on to mid-on in T20 cricket and would run the length of the the field at the end of every over because that suited him and that suited the team and his abilities to do what he needed to do in that position. That was very, uh, very uh, specific.
1: And equally, do you find places to hide people too?
0: Well, see now, that's an interesting one because (laughs) I, I think in the modern day game now, that thing of hiding fielders... And the reason I say that is is now that I think you mentioned about Jack Russell there saying that he didn't want to go to third man from third man to fine leg, etc. I think those positions now are just as important as being at backward point, or being at mid wicket or but being at cover.
1: Th- there are places though where you can do least damage, aren't there?
0: Well, potentially. I I, I mean, this is where you start getting really detailed and you start looking at all the data of a potential game and say, right, a particular batsman won't hit it there. If we've got a weaker fielder, let's stick him over there. I think that, that does happen. I think that's getting less and less, though, because I think people now are more athletic. They are practicing more, not as much as I would like in terms of fielding. And I think they are becoming aware now that actually, do you know what, when it comes to selection, you need to be a fielder first and foremost, and then you need to be a batter or a bowler. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense. And if you think about a T20 game of cricket, 120 balls, it's very rare that anybody bats 120 balls. It's very rare that anybody will ever bowl 120. But, but the one feels, thing you will yeah. do, you will definitely field 120. And I did have this conversation, and I certainly sha not mention the players, but I did have a phone call when Chris Taylor was the lead fielding coach about a player, and they wanted to know whether... In my opinion, he was a better fielder than another fielder at a different county, both bowlers, which one should we go for? And it was interesting that they'd got to that point where it came down to the fielding, not their ability to bowl, but their their ability to uh, to field. So for me, it tells me that fielding should be much, much higher up on the agenda than we probably think it, or probably where it is at the moment.
1: Fed up of collecting your team's matchday subs? Worried about carrying cash post-COVID-19? Try SlateApp.co.uk. Less contact than contactless. Slate, the smartest way to collect weekly match fees and more. Download the app, SlateApp.co.uk. Not just for cricket, any clubs that collect subs. It just makes sense. Stick it on the Slate. SlateApp.co.uk. Let me take you back a step and then we'll go into the modern day fielding side of things. As somebody that hasn't played professional cricket, did you ever get any resistance from a a professional player in a dressing room to say, (laughs) you've not been here and done this, so what are you telling me about?
0: Yeah, nobody ever categorically said that to me. I I think it probably might have been more my perception around, do you know what, I just get the sense here that that professional cricketers are great people. They will talk to you, they will... Spend time with you. They're, they're great people to be around, and I've been very fortunate for that. But sometimes, when it comes to the, you know what, this is my livelihood. You've got to give me the right information here to make me a, a better player and secure the, the longevity of my career. That's what they're interested in, and ultimately that then allows them to win games. So, definitely, definitely felt that. And there's one particular player at Northampton who was as polite as anybody but would never ever talk to me, and I found it found him really difficult to engage with until about halfway through the season and then he just opened up and he was absolutely brilliant with what he had but I think he was just sounding me out and wanted to know that I wasn't just somebody that was just making it up and along for the ride um, and would and could be able to add value and and once that happened, that was great. I think that also then comes down to the ability to be able to build trustworthy relationships with players to say, look, this is what we can do. And I think the beauty with fielding is, is going back to the bit about what coaching is and moving along their journey, is that if you can prove to them that this is where you were in at the beginning of the season or the beginning of the winter, say, let's say, in a in a training phase, here, here we are in November and here we are in April. Look how much you've proved. And if you can prove that by statistics or video footage or their own feel or their own admission to it, then all of a sudden, they think you're the best thing since sliced bread and that's that's for any any coach really. And that's ultimately what you want. Now it's not about egos or anything like that. It's about helping them move forward with what they're trying to do. So I think that, you know, you've got to have that combination of being able to build a relationship, be trustworthy, be honest, and then be able to have the technical information around right, what is it that you're gonna to have to do to be able to help them move forward with their game technically that they can then apply and then they can apply a game situation that's
1: going to allow them to win game cricket. Let, let's compare areas. I mean, I, I started watching cricket full on in the 80s and you, you've already mentioned both of them, but there was Fat Gap, there was Alan Lamb, there was you know quite a few people that didn't necessarily look like supreme physical specimens, all of them fantastic cricketers, don't get me wrong. But yeah, the, the levels of fitness have gone through the roof, haven't they, in the last 30 years yep, or so. And, yep. uh, so people are, are far more athletic looking that play cricket, uh, like, yeah, generally speaking. And I think when, when I look at white ball cricket these days and I've heard other people say the same thing you know you look at true all-rounders as having three disciplines batting bowling and, and fielding fielding Fielding's often talked about in the same breath I was going to say almost in the same breath because it is maybe just a little bit behind which is probably where you'll come in from but you look at some of the games that we see these days and everybody will say the level of fielding in T20 cricket you know T20 cricket white ball cricket has brought the level of fielding through the roof and Ben Stokes's catch against South Africa in the World Cup and Stokes' catch yeah. off Stuart Broad in the Ashes. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Examples yeah. of incredible fielding get replayed and replayed and replayed. So I think there, there is a, a you know, certainly a, an acceptance that fielding is massively important, but you'll say that maybe it could be even more so.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it could. I think it is going through. And, and, and if, you, if you were to look at a curve or a graph of how fielding has improved in the last 10 years, it's, the curve would be very, very steep. I just think we've now got to get onto that curve and make sure that it continues to grow and i think we need to almost transfer that through international cricket first class cricket second eleven cricket academy cricket club cricket and let it run all the way through the system so it threads all the way through so it's almost you know part and parcel of what you do day in day out and it becomes more and more routine And and don't get me wrong here i'm not saying it's not it's not good it is good I just think it could be a lot better and and it's interesting when you have a now there are some counties that do have specialist fielding coaches come in and it adds a different layer and a different perspective onto something and a different voice all of a sudden the focus is quite it's quite sharp whereas if you've got your everyday coaches doing it it almost sometimes it's the easiest thing to say we won't do that if there's time constraints or whatever else, if there's any other pressures. It's the easiest thing not to do. And I just think if you've got a specialist that is doing that for you, they can drive that because that's all they're focused on. And I suppose I get that sort of drive and that passion and that, uh, that I don't know what the word is, but to make sure that it's at the forefront when I worked at Derbyshire under Graham Welsh and you know we had a great set of staff there in terms of everybody led on a specific area. Now, Graham was a great leader, and he said, look, you're responsible for fielding. I will hold you accountable for fielders improving. And that was great. So for me, my focus wasn't on the batters or the bowlers or anybody else or anything else. It was about making sure that these fielders were as good as they possibly could be. And that's what he held me accountable for. So I drove that as much as I could. So you then fall back on your relationships and your opportunities to say, right, come on have half an hour. Let's let's just work on this particular throw. So, you know, we take Wayne Ladsen and we go, right, backward point mate, that's where you're a specialist. Let's just have half an hour, of you throwing the stumps down here. I think it is changing. That the tide is definitely, definitely changing. I just think we need to just keep driving it forward. And what I would love to see happen is for us to get a hundred, a 1, thousand coaches that become fielding experts that, that can drive with great enthusiasm, passion, knowledge, and get that into players at whatever level they work at. Because I think it will drive the standards of cricket even more in this country. And ultimately, we become consistent world champions for, forevermore. Um, so I, I, you know, I suppose you can tell by the, the, the tone of my voice, it, it's something I just think we can just be bigger and bigger and better at if we can drive it even more. And I think, you know, the ECP are making great strides in that. I, I've been fortunate enough to work in their coach education development department. So I've been lucky enough to work with t- uh, Chris Taylor and Mark uh, Hoppo, uh, who's now the league fielding coach. They are making strides, but it's at the very top end of the game. And I know that filters down into the first class game but I just think we need to, you know, completely across the spectrum and become world leaders, and it'd it be great. It'd just be great. I'm
1: going to ask you the same question, but from two different aspects. I'm going to go with the 17-year-old first. There's a a young lad who's listening to this who turns upon his, at the weekend, is an okay fielder, contributes, but doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily totally enjoy it. What kind of advice, maybe sort of three or four points, would you give him to maybe focus on to get more out of fielding and contribute more in the field?
0: I've got a bit of a mantra, which I always use with with fielding. After 10 years of, 10, 11 years of coaching fielding, I've come up with a mantra of uh, mentally and physically prepared. So if you think about being mentally prepared, what what does that actually mean? Now, there's a multitude of things there. So everything from attitude to the way that you turn up. So if you turn up for your fielding practice and you're thinking, I don't really want to do this, but I'll get my 10 catches done then that's not going to work for you. If you turn up and go, I'm going to nail these 10 catches or I'm going to really work on the work, the the one thing that the coach has been telling me to work on and getting my hands ready or making sure that I get to the ball quickly, whatever it may be, then all of a sudden that attitude, that mental preparation changes the way that you perform right through to a game situation where being mentally prepared, you're at backward points or whichever fielding position you're at, you could be going, right, I'm switched on, the ball's at the top of his mark, I can see where this batter's playing the game. See that he likes to drop it and run i 'm going to watch i 'm going to watch the way that his back path comes down, whether he accelerates or whether he decelerates so if he decelerates he 's killing the ball he 's dropping the ball which tells me that i 'm going to have to dart in and get the ball. if he tells me he's going to have a quick slash of the ball then I know that the ball's going to come quickly, so I need to be still and ready so that's just mental preparation and then the physical preparation is Am I in the right position? Am I switched on? Am I getting into a good position that's going to allow me to attack the ball and get into that, you know, what I would call, you know, if, if we were to have a fight now, what sort of position would you get into? You'd get into a side-on ready to hit no, me, no, would
1: Cookie, you? you don't know me well enough. I'd be, be running <laughs> away from you.
0: Well, but likewise, if I said to you, right, I'm going to smash a ball at you, you wouldn't just stay as you are, would you? You'd get into a crouch yeah. position and all of a sudden you're physically set, aren't you? So likewise... Whether you're at third man or whether you're at backward point, you're going to get into your fighting fielding position, ready to attack the ball or ready to to create an opportunity that's going to potentially change the direction of the game and ultimately win you the game of cricket. So my advice to that 17-year-old is, right, where are you starting and is your mental state where you need it to be before we do anything physical? So there, there needs to be an inner drive from that individual to say, do you know what, I want to get better. Now, if there is, great. If there isn't, then that might be a little bit of coaching that needs to happen to say, well, what is it that drives you? What is it that's going to make you get to where you want to? And that will all depend upon his motives or her motives in terms of how successful they want to be at whatever level they're playing at.
1: One of the things that I often, um, I can relate it to myself playing cricket when I was younger, but you tend to do the things you enjoy doing, don't you? If you're batting and you like like to face certain types of bowlers, that makes you happy because you get a few off the middle. If you're fielding, like you say, just lob me up 10 catches, I'll catch those, oh, that's my fielding drill done. It's the stuff that you find hard in matches that you don't necessarily practice because it's harder because you don't always do it right. And you want to do things right in in your practice, don't you? And make it easy for yourself. But by tackling the harder things, you actually get better, don't you?
0: So I'll give you a perfect example. So how many times have you gone to nets and had, you, you, you've either been in the net or you've had an open net where you're you, you lucky enough to get on the edge of the square, perhaps on the, on the ground, and the coach has gone, right, we'll have a scenario. It's the last three overs of the T20. You're chasing 28 off the last three overs. Yeah. And the bowlers obviously got a bowl at the death. The batters have got to get 28 runs off the three overs. Great scenario. And you'll do that, which is great. But then you'll go right fielders. We've got to make sure he doesn't get these 28 runs. How are we going to do that? How are we going to influence that? How are we going to tactically potentially change the way that we, where we are in the field? What might we do differently? What signals are we going to look from the bowler? So all of a sudden you've got fielders engaged in playing a game of chess with a batter. And then individually you've got to then say to the, the fielders, right, what do you think? Where do you think this batter's going to hit it? How do you think he's going to hit it? Do you really need to come in off the rope and think? Well, if he's trying to clear the rope, you don't want to be walking in. You want to be stood on the rope as much as you possibly oh, can. That, that was anything.
1: my bugbear. I was a ca- I was captain of a local team, and I right. used to put people back on the ropes, and then the the, the, the batsman would hit the ball away. It would if they would stayed on the ropes, they caught it, but they walked in twenty yards. It goes over the head. I used to drive yeah. me mad. Sorry, I, inter- I interrupted because yeah. you just brought back a bad memory there. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And and you've seen that happen lots of times. So I think, you you know, that then comes for me, that then comes down to the skill of the coach to go, do you know what? The type of practices that we will have will be all encompassing. And, you you know, you're not going to do everything in one night. However, if you create and set up your practices appropriately, that meet the needs of the players, that meet the needs of the demands of the game, then all of a sudden you get players engaged, players want to be part of that success, and then all of a sudden they want to start contributing, and then all of a sudden their attitude is, well, actually, do you know what? I might not score many runs today, but I might still win the game for the team here if I can do this right. And I suppose it's just changing that attitude, certainly at club level. Um, I've just started working at a local club, and... They've brought me in just purely to to work on the fielding. And it's amazing the response that I've had from the players where they've gone, we've never, ever had this. And I've got to admit, I've gone quite hard at them because that's a bit of uh, the way that I operate at times. But it's interesting. The feedback has been fantastic. And they've just said, we absolutely love this. We haven't talked about batting and bowling because I very rarely do these days. But in terms of the fielding, it's like, Man, if you get this right, this is what you can do. This is how you can win games of cricket. So there's almost a... I've almost turned up their energy levels from a three out of ten to a seven out of ten with a few few sessions and a few simple changes in the way that they think and approach the way they do their fielding through fun engagement, thinking about what they do and the types of practices we run, and it's been it's it's, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and, and the lads have as well.
1: I was going to ask you, Cookie, um, about the seventeen-year-old, and then I was going to ask you the same question about maybe a thirty-three-year-old professional cricketer. But from what you've said and what you've said in the rest of the podcast, the advice would be very, very similar, wouldn't it? I,
0: I don't think it. Yeah, it would. I, d- I don't think it's any difference. Obviously, you know, you'd have to tweak one or two things. It's interesting because when I've worked with look, when I work with um, north Hants, obviously men professional cricketers, I was also working with England women at the time as well. And when I started with England women, I thought. Should I be hitting the ball as hard at them, or should I, you know, should I ease off a little bit or not? No, it, it, regardless of age, to a degree, regardless of gender, regardless of ability, you treat them as cricketers and you treat them as wanting them to, you know, become better fielders. Full stop. You now, if you've got a ten-year-old, obviously you're not going to make it as hard as you would do for a professional cricketer, but you've just got to differentiate. I guess the principle of what you're trying to do is exactly the same. And I think again, going back to what you said earlier, that enthusiasm. Your poor, vibration enthusiasm needs to be there constantly to, to get them to want to do it as much as they can and to the best of their ability.
1: I can't remember what year it was we were in Abu Dhabi, but you were obviously working with Derbyshire at the time. I was doing a bit of work around the club. We had a, we had a very good afternoon, didn't we, where I beat you at uh, go-karting. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, <laughs> oh, hang
0: on a second. Hang on a <laughs> second. I think that? you beat me on the first round. I think, I think it was a draw. I, think we I, had
1: were... a, I had a very dodgy car on the second one. <laughs> no, it
0: was a good afternoon it was, it was yeah, well,
1: I'll, I'll tell you what though, it was hot wasn't it? <laughs> that it was hot, it was yeah, very hot under, yeah, yeah, I a helmet it, it was and. whatever the temperature was in Abu Dhabi With all the overalls and the helmet on And uh, I think I probably lost about three stone Which was probably much nicer, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> And when, when we were talking in Abu Dhabi And you were obviously uh, drowning your sorrows after your defeat Um, We were talking about coaching, weren't we, as we walked around a shopping mall, I think, and you were talking about maybe doing a book on all of this and wrapping it up into a book as a bit of a guide to how
0: um, people could
1: interpret that. Is that still on the horizon?
0: Well, it's been on the horizon for a very long time. However, I have started to put pen to paper at long last. Um, And and Every time I sort of sit down to to put something together, I think, well, who's ever going to want to read a book by you? But then when I speak to coaches, they say, We'd love to know about fielding. So there's a part of me that, you know, I've started to put down my thoughts and whatever else, and I'm 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 hoping and I won't put a timescale on it because it it might not happen. But the desire for it to happen is that I am certainly looking at putting a book together that will talk ab- about coaching and predominantly around fielding coaching and what it takes to. To coach building with a pure purpose of helping coaches build their confidence levels and their knowledge around fielding and what it is they need to do to to help players at whatever level they work at because um, I think that would be I, I just think it would be a really good resource if nothing else I, I've got to admit if there was a book out there purely on fielding that, that would help them then I'd certainly be be looking to, to have a look at it. So I think it's something that I would definitely like to do, definitely like to share my experiences. And if it helps anybody in terms of their coaching or even players, then it's a win-win situation. So I'd, at some point, I certainly would like to, I'd like to think I'd get Something down and something published.
1: Hopefully, <laughs> in about ten years' time, when you finally bring it out, I'll uh, I'll, I'll publicise it on the Cricket Badger Podcast for you. <laughs> It'd
0: be absolutely fantastic if you did that, um, for me, James. That would be much
1: appreciated. Y- you mentioned working with a local club. There are you are you available for hire if if anybody out there wanted to uh, have Cookie Patel well, to come along for a couple of sessions? Yeah,
0: and- yeah. Well, I mean, I'm in an interesting position because I've I've not, recently uh, been made redundant from ECB, Um And I am now in a point where I've taken a few weeks off. I thought, I'll have a few weeks off. I'll go and do a bit of volunteering work with the Tropshire Uh, Staffordshire and Cheshire bikes, which is what I do and um, I thought I'll go and do a little bit of kayaking because I love that and then when I finished with ECB the following week they put everybody on lockdown so I've been confined to the house and the garden and a little bit of cycling but in terms of employment I was looking now to go self-employed and start looking at well yeah offering fielding coaching fielding workshops for coaches um and, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting, and I was advised once by Trevor Penny never to be called a fielding specialist because they said nobody will ask you to do any batting and bowling coaching, and I should have listened to it. And nobody really does nowadays, even though I'm an ECB Level 4 coach. So, yeah, so I'm absolutely available. If anybody wants to look me up, then fieldingcoaching.com on the website and, you, and you'll and you find me. Uh, but, yeah, it'd be, be great to do some fielding work for, for people that want to involved with it. it's been great
1: to catch up with you mate and we'll have to do another karting if it's one all we'll have to do a decider
0: (laughs) you know absolutely somewhere a bit cooler
1: perhaps (laughs) (laughs) well it's been uh, great to have you on the Cricket Badger podcast Cookie Patel thank you
0: thank you thanks
1: very much James thanks a lot take care it's that badger style Thank you very much indeed to Cookie Patel for joining me on this edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. I think you'll agree. Interesting chat, that one, because I think fielding sometimes goes under people's radar when it comes to coaching and how to get the best out of your cricket, whatever standard it's at. So hopefully you've taken something from what Cookie has to say. We'll get him back on again in the future because there's a number of different questions I've thought of since then I could ask him. Thanks to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog Follow at cricket underscore badger. Look we'll out for those hashtag goat cricket ground folks as we go through the next few weeks. And if you can, if you've got a little bit of time, please like, subscribe and leave a nice comment on the Cricket Badger podcast. That would be very much appreciated. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you next time on the Cricket Badger podcast.